0: city headquarters. I'm Joanna Shurino.
1: In
2: Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And from the Louis Martini Winery in beautiful Napa, California, I'm Adam Teeter. And this is the Vine Pair Friday podcast. I'm still here. I'm still in California. Don't worry, I'm taking the red eye home tonight, which I have a question. Have either of you ever taken a red eye? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I flew really... so many
1: red eyes from Seattle to New York. You have no uh, idea. yeah, I
0: used I used to do San Francisco to uh, New York to San Francisco for work. Red eye, really? worst worst idea, worst. Idea. I've never done that. It before.
2: That way I'm is worse. Regretting it. I'm already, I've never done it before. And I'm already regretting it.
1: No, the west to east red eye is not so bad because you, it's it's a little rough, but you at least arrive and it's morning and you're like, okay, I have to be awake. The, the flying arriving in you know on a west coast city at like four in the morning is rough.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I could see that. I could
2: and see then that. going to work. Yeah, and then yeah. having to do stuff. <laughs> so what's that? That's Especially like, what what red eye would that be, Zach? So when would you leave the U.S.? I mean, when would you leave the East Coast? I don't
1: know if your flight was like midnight or one. You know, it's a, it's about yeah, a six yeah, hour yeah, yeah, flight, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. going to arrive at three a.m. local
2: time. Oh no, a.m. No, yep, no thank you. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. You know, you will be, be fine. fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> I'm gonna get through it. Just you know, have a couple of
1: cocktails on the flight. You'll be good.
2: Yeah. Yes. you know,
1: just annoy my seatmate. Hey,
2: hey, hey! Can you can you guys <laughs> can you <get laughs> up, like, sleep on airplanes? I really can't. I'm I mean really either. bad at it. Yeah, I'm really bad at it. I even,
0: really envy people who can.
1: Even Adam, when I when I flew out to meet you for uh, wine to wine a couple a few years ago, and I think I was on an airplane. I flew. It took three flights to get there. I think I was on an airplane for over twenty four hours. I didn't sleep at all, which was really rough.
2: It's really oh my rough. God, that's I mean, like, awful. I even if I take like a like you know an over the counter sleeping pill or something, I can't do it. Mm. I just yeah. I can't fall asleep. It's also like it's, yeah, it's it's not comfortable. No one likes it. Anyhow, so <laughs> let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something else, which is actually. So, I'm in, we thought this would be a great conversation for today. So, I'm in, you know, Napa Valley, as uh, Keith Beaver's post of my one says America's premier luxury wine region built that way.
0: Cab country.
2: Cab country. The question really is so, Cab's been the dominant varietal, red varietal in the US for decades. Mm-hmm. Is it ever not going to be?
1: I have thoughts. Please. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think my that the, my
0: answer is no. <laughs> Go ahead, Zach. I,
1: I think that the qu- answer to this question a little bit depends on two things. One is uh, the time horizon you're talking about, and also kind of what you and en- how we envision certain trends in the wine industry evolving over time, and those things might are obviously related. I think that for the foreseeable future, I agree with Joanna's general contention that like <laughs> Cabernet has built itself into this behemoth that is very hard to imagine, um, you know, toppling. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think that there are sort of two points of data that I would find interesting, or or sort of you know things that I've read about, heard about that would perhaps point to some of its fragility. And one of them is uh, just uh, the situation that. You know, we see in some of these premium Cabernet regions, which is, you know, hotter temperatures, more difficulty growing. Um, And Cabernet has gotten to where it is, both because of its connection to fine wine in France, but also because it is capable of being grown in a really wide range of climates. Uh, It does well in a lot of different places. It's not quite the most versatile grape in that regard, but it's much more versatile than what I would think is its closest competition, which is Pinot Noir. And Pinot Mm -hmm. just struggles because it's difficult to grow. It needs more specific growing conditions. And in the other piece of this, and this is the part where I think things might change, Cabernet Sauvignon has, to date, aligned well with what Americans expressed flavor preferences are in wine. But, and here's where I think things could change, our generation and younger doesn't seem to want those flavors the way that our generation and older has. And mm-hmm. I think that where you could see some of the cracks showing up for Cabernet Sauvignon is, for example, you don't see a lot of natural Cabernet Sauvignon, like for a number of reasons. One of them being that like Cabernet Sauvignon grapes are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one is just it flavor profile wise. Is you're not going to make a lighter bodied, fresher style of Cabernet. I mean, people say they're doing that, but it's just inherently not super well suited to that because of how tannic it is as a variety. And also because In most of the places we associate with Cabernet Sauvignon, it's just too expensive to make into anything other than what it was already made into. And so it is weirdly – I think there's a possibility that it has sort of trapped itself in a form and in a sort of style that is going to become less and less resonant with people. And not that it's going to go away, but that would it shock me if it was no longer the most popular wine in America in 10 years – I don't think I'd be shocked. I might be surprised in part because I don't see any one variety that's going to like rise up and so clearly supplant it, which is maybe the issue. But I do think that we might see its uh, kind of iron grip start to, you know, loosen. Dre, you said no.
0: That it it would never go
2: away. Oh, you think it'll never go away?
0: Yeah. Well, I I mostly think it's because of things that we've discussed on the podcast before, which is that it is – it embodies like premium wine in the United States. Right. And so I think that unless there's something that will come to replace it, which Zach doesn't seem to think there is necessarily like people will continue to like think of Napa cab specifically as America's premium wine offering.
2: Yeah. I tend to agree with you both. I think, you know, you're, There's a lot of really good points being made that just, as you think about it logically, right? It just doesn't seem like there's anything that can sort of knock it off its pedestal. Like the other grapes, like it have issues, right? So Merlot, I I think Mm -hmm. softer, some you know structure tannin, but not as bad image. Bad image, still Mm -hmm. sorry. Everybody there who loves Merlot, but it does have a bad image. I think it's going to take a long time. And even then, when it had a good image, it still wasn't anywhere close to Cab in terms of its popularity. Zinfandel is very much on the way down, right? It's in a decline. Um, People are ripping up. But I
0: also think people don't understand Zinfandel either and think it has a bad image, too. Exactly.
2: And, like, a higher alcohol. Uh, Malbec. I mean, no one's doing American Malbec. And I think Malbec, while it is – Really beloved in the U.S., I do think it suffers from being seen by most consumers as the affordable wine, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. right?
2: So, like, so it's—I know there are premium malbecs out there. Don't come for me, Argentinian winemakers, but like most Americans, don't consider malbec to be premium. Yeah. So there's there's that one. Zach made the excellent point about Pinot Noir. It just can't be done well in a lot of places. And so now, I might cynically argue that
1: being done well might not be a prerequisite for being the dominant variety, because I think there's a lot true, of true, very bad true. Cabernet Sauvignon out there. True. So I think Pinot Noir, if anything, could do it because it's it is Amazing. our second most popular variety in the country and there is a lot of demand for it, but true. I think it's a it's a price issue more than it's a it's a production issue. I think. Right.
2: And then, you know, I mean Syrah. Like I like Syrah a lot. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's not going to happen. Um, and, you know, it is always interesting to me that it, Cabernet is both very, you know, it's just, it's its both very popular. It gives a lot to the consumer in terms of flavor, structure, et cetera. And when you talk to people like Brene, who owns the Monte Rosso Vineyard, right, it's very easy to grow, which I always am so surprised about when I learned that. When I first learned that, I was shocked. I was like, wait, what? Like, okay, I guess... Yeah, I guess that does make sense. but And it's why you see cab getting planted in Virginia, getting planted in New yeah, York everywhere. State. Like everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it just – I think that also helps to reinforce its dominance, right? Because when you like – if you stroll into a winery in you know, sort of like the Piedmont area of Virginia or the Charlottesville area of Virginia and you're asked if you want a cabernet, like, oh, okay. Okay, so like – yeah, that's right. That 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 must be the high end grade, right? That's the high end grade, mm-hmm. and that's just what everyone's come to think. And I mean, look again. I think that's why you see the rebellions you see from younger winemakers being like, "We're going to make you know crazy natural or field blends or whatever." And I think that's for a consumer that's trying to think outside the box. But I think Cab is going to always be, at least for the foreseeable future, our. You know, I think our lifetimes and probably the lifetimes of a generation after us it's going to be like IPA and craft beer. Like there will be other, you know, other wines and grapes for other people, for people who are a little bit more exploratory, et cetera. But the vast majority of people are just going to drink cab and love cab. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just like the vast majority of craft mm-hmm. beer drinkers still really like IPA and drink IPA, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: Well, and I think you make a very good point about how it's both viewed as the sort of premium offering in so many different wine regions around the country. Yeah. And also how, because of its premium identity, it is the thing that many of these producers look to plan and look to produce because mm-hmm. they know that a, a meaningful portion of potential cl- of customers are yep. going to come in and be like, well, let me try your cab. And if you yep. try to say, well, actually we grow, you know, then you're just, some people are going to turn around and walk out the door or, or, you know, they might not literally, but they're not buying wine. They might taste and they'll leave or they'll be like, oh, okay, I'll get one bottle. But like, but you got cab and people are suddenly on board. And, and I find that fascinating. I think it's, uh, there's an incredible... You know, there might be an incredible story to tell because actually, I, th- I believe, and again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think there was a time in America when Cabernet was like not super long ago, like in the into the 70s at least, when it was not the most widely planted variety, even in California. Um, and actually, Merlot I think was more widely planted, mm-hmm. but but never was was not varietally labeled generally, and so that's a big part of it too, right? Cabernet Sauvignon not only became um, the most planted, but it's also so often the variety that's on the label and that is a big thing too right the the right. you know as a component in the blend as you see it even in france in most cases um it's it's different than saying okay we, this is cabernet sauvignon and even if in a lot of these cases the wine isn't 100 cabernet sauvignon um it's obviously the the dominant portion of the of the wine and it's the thing that people gravitate towards and, and so i want to ask you guys one question about this before we get into tasting which is mm. like how do you feel about Cabernet Sauvignon? Because I feel like it's weirdly for how much we talk about wine on this podcast and we talk about wines we like, very rarely do any of us say like, oh, I opened a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon.
0: Yeah, I, I really don't ever drink it unless I'm with my parents sometimes, like because they've, they have some at home and they're like nicer and they open them. <laughs> but otherwise, I, I really don't gravitate towards it myself.
2: I don't drink it that often either. I drink it a lot when I was a much younger wine drinker um, mm-hmm.
0: oh. because
2: again, I think I, that for me it was like, oh, this is what premium is and I I mm. still, I have some really nice bottles and I will open them once in a while and I 100% can appreciate it um, but I yeah, it's not what I gravitate towards like I, you know, if I'm having like red meat we're talking like, I probably go grab first of all, I drink a lot of stuff from, you know, Italy etc., um, but then i I love Syrah, like, you know, we were just talking mm-hmm. about Zach, like, I, I would do that with a burger or a Pinot with a burger, or I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I look for a lot. I think also the problem with Cabernet that we, you know, haven't talked about is I think the reason that people like us don't drink it that often is because it is one of the few grapes that can take a lot of oak. Mm-hmm. But just because it can right. take a lot of oak doesn't mean it should have a lot of oak but a lot of producers give it a lot of oak. And for me, like I just can't do a wine like that anymore. It's not the kind of wine I'm looking for. I want a wine that is much more purity of fruit, much less oak influence, higher yeah. acidity. I also need lower alcohol. Like I'm, you know, I ha- there's one person in my household that also drinks, my wife, right? And we're, we can't sit down and have a 15.5% cap. You know, we just we can't it's like we will be wasted because we also usually like to start (laughs) if we're having like, like, okay, if it's a weeknight, we just open a bottle of wine, right? And we have it with dinner. But if it's like, let's say I'm making burger or steak or whatever, and we probably started with a cocktail. And like, after we had a cocktail, we want to have a bottle of wine and I'm not going to have a Mm -hmm. huge high alcohol bottle of wine or I'll be like flat on my face. I mean, what's your opinion, Kevin? How much do you drink it?
1: So I think one thing I want to say before I answer that question is that. I think that uh, an important point that I that goes along with the sort of oak regimen for these wines, and it's I think it helps explain it is in America in particular. So much of this wine, not so much of it, but but a good portion of it is is influenced by two things. One is it's influenced by sort of tasting room impressions, and that style of wine pops in a tasting room in a way that a more delicate, subtle wine may not, especially if you've already been tasting some wine in the day. And it's also, of course, driven by critic scores, and and certainly many of the most famous critics are uh, heavily influenced by fruit ripeness, oak intensity, etc. And so those things explain a lot about why it's made that, or why some Cabernet Sauvignon is made that way. I would say that we drink it in this house uh, probably more than the two of you, but not a ton. I mean, some of it is just... It's not like like you, Adam, I would, when making, you know, things that might pair well with Cabernet Sauvignon, I'm at least as likely to gravitate towards uh, Nebbiolo or Syrah uh, or something like that. Um, but I do, we do have a fair bit of it in, in the house and I do open them from time to time. I think that one of the funny things about Cabernet Sauvignon as a as a wine is that despite its predominance and despite how much people like to talk about food and wine pairing, it's not actually the most interesting wine to pair with food, especially the kind of classic Napa or American formulation, because Mm -hmm. like what it's really good for is drinking by itself. And like, that is a whole thing unto itself. And like, I like, I like drinking sometimes if my wife and I are just going to have wine and we're not sitting down to dinner. um, Not that that happens that often, but it does happen from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, Then this is, that's often the kind of wine we open because it's actually kind of very enjoyable for that. Like, if the kids are asleep or one of them's out of town or something and we're going to watch a movie, like cab's a great wine for that, in my opinion.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But at the table, it's actually sometimes not uh, because of its intensity and because of how much that's going on. Like it, it can overwhelm a lot of foods and we don't eat like, you know, ribeye steaks all that often. Right. We do from time to time, but like there aren't that many dishes as someone who had to put together an unfortunate number of, wine dinners with Washington producers who made multiple Cabernet Sauvignons, you're like, okay, how many different ways can we like put a, you know, how many different red meats can we put in one tasting? Right. Because it's just like kind of fatiguing for everyone involved. Um, So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where we stand. But um, I, I, I enjoy them when I open them generally, I just don't go for them, you know, at a, at the rate that the average American does for sure.
2: So it's actually really interesting yeah. that you just said what you said, because I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up that a lot of the times when I do open the Cabernets that I have at home, it is like when Naomi and I sit down to watch a movie
0: mm-hmm.
2: like huh. it's, that's really, I hadn't thought because it's like, well, this is the drink for the night. Right. And we want to, we want to drink it slowly throughout the like two and a half or three hour movie. And we, we, you will do that with a cab because it's, yeah. it's too intense to like finish a bottle and then have like they'd be like, oh, are we going to drink? You know, <laughs> yeah, There's no like,
1: glue glue cab. No, you like, you drink <laughs> it very slowly.
2: You, you sort of, you and you appreciate it while you're like watching the movie or whatever on a friday night and it's a really nice experience and i I do think that you know that's something also that's that's interesting because i think a lot of americans probably are drinking cab on its own you know they're not drinking it with uh with a big dinner because yeah well you know we we don't eat as much red meat as a society as we used to um and i think it is kind of overpowering for other things but look at the end of the day Cabernet makes a really delicious wine, you know it. It really does, and I can see the appeal. And yeah, I don't think that it's ever going to be any less dominant than it already is. Um, I think it's going to continue to be, you know, America's number one red wine for a very long time. Um, and with that, we all have Let's Cabernets in them. front of us. Let's drink mm-hmm. them, um, Joanna. What do you have first?
0: So I have Inglenook eighteen eighty two, okay, twenty and twenty eighteen. Okay. I'm sharing it with Keith right now. <laughs>
2: uh, God, Keith always gets
1: things shared with him. <laughs> well, I mean, says the guy who's in like a, you know, at a famous Napa winery right now. I'm sure you're not suffering. Yeah, right. what, do you, what did they pour? What did they
2: pour for you, Adam? Uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, they poured for me a. <sighs> Keith's going to be so jealous. Uh, they poured for me a Martini Monte Rosso Vineyard Cabernet. Nice. Uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, I mean, like <laughs> probably a, a pretty great one too, Keith. Sorry, buddy. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. What about you?
1: And I have the Robert Mondavi Estate, uh, or the sorry, the Estates uh, label from Robert Mondavi there, uh, Oakville Cabernet Sauvignon. So, so we all have
2: really classic Cabernet producers too.
1: I thought that was kind of cool. It yeah, that's works pretty out cool well that
2: way. Yeah, um, I'm. Yeah, I'm. And my mine. I love I love the Rosa one too because. You know, Monterosso Vineyard is like one of these sort of these Grand Cru vineyards of the U.S., if you want to say, Mm -hmm. call it that. Right. But I love that they make Monterosso Vineyard cab at Martini because Martini's always made cab from that um, that vineyard. But that Mm -hmm. actually it's in Sonoma. Yeah. And that when they originally, you know, there had been lobbying actually by people who owned the vineyard, and people who bought fruit from the vineyard to move the Napa County line to income and in- incorporate the vineyard because so many producers in Napa love the fruit so much. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a Sonoma vineyard. And I think it just makes really beautiful cabin is, is one of these, uh, you know, nice little reminders that like, yeah, they can make great cap in Sonoma too.
1: Yeah. And lots of oh, other yeah. places.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah so I think
1: my I'll say my bottle, <laughs> um, I think really does encapsulate a lot of what people love about Cabernet Sauvignon. Like it's, you know, it's got that, in, uh, you know, some ripe fruit character to it, like black cherry and fig and stuff. It's got some oak, but it's not, in this case, like overly um, kind of laden with it. But there's definitely like a cinnamon, vanilla, chocolatey thing going on. It's like, you know, definitely got some booze. It's not crazy boozy, but I can feel it. Um, and it's like, it's really delicious. It's a, apparently also Cabernet goes really well with podcasting. I didn't know. I've never <laughs> drank Cabernet podcast before, but uh, good to know.
0: I like that. Yeah. Yeah i I like my wine too. It's good. <laughs>
2: what do you th- What do you think about it, <laughs> Joanna? That's That's no, a real no, detailed tasting note there. I know. I'm so sorry. So mine, my my Monteroso, which is the 2018, by the way, uh, is. I mean, I would say there there is definitely a little bit of oak here, but again, yeah, it's not overpowering. You really, you really get like the you get like some black pepper. You get a little bit of smoke which then you obviously get from the oak, right? That's, that's sort of the wood characteristic coming in. Um, but then there's, you know, just the, the deep, dark black fruit, the blackberries, um, mm-hmm. the plums, things like that. And then on the, on the palate, it just has this, it, there's this really bright acidity, which clearly comes from, um, you know, just the climate here. So it's, it's hot enough during the day to really ripen everything. But then at night it gets so cool in that vineyard that the acidity is really nicely retained Um and so it, it is so much lighter on its feet than you would expect, right? This, this wine, I don't know about yours, but, you know, this wine is over 15% alcohol. Um, and that should make this wine feel really heavy and weighty on the palate. And it doesn't because it's just the acidity is so high and it, it's just so well-balanced and integrated. It's a really nice wine. And again, another reason why I don't think Cabernet is going away anytime soon. Sure. Well, guys, I... Uh, gonna go get on my red eye now <laughs> After <I finish> this <laughs> glass. i'm gonna fly back to new york city uh and moving forward for all uh, the next few weeks i will be in studio no more travel for me
0: Ooh.
2: i know you're so excited joanna <laughs> <laughs>
0: i am i like when we're all in the studio it's nice it's nice
2: it's actually piping in from seattle like always all right you both i will see you on monday
0: have a great weekend
2: sounds great